the second part of our theme uh, verse is to be strong and courageous. So the question is, why is the Lord encouraging Joshua to be strong and courageous? Well, naturally, because he wasn't. Right, like that's that's why you give the pep talk, right? That that's why I I'll sit down with my kids before one of their their sporting events. I'm like, hey, just be confident, uh, just go up there. Uh, you you can do it, right? Why? Because they don't think they can, <laughs> because they don't have the confidence. This is why God is telling Joshua. More than that, the reason why Joshua is in need of this encouragement is because of all the difficulties that lie ahead. All the challenges that he and the people are about to face. So what are the challenges? Well, let me give you three in passing and then we'll camp out on the third. Uh, the first challenge is the unknown. The unknown. This is, this is land, no doubt, but this is new land. They had grown accustomed to wilderness wandering, but this is new territory. And the fear of the unknown is one of the greatest fears that we struggle with. If you take a problem and then you place it in a location that is unknown, the problem gets bigger. The problem gets bigger. If we are uncomfortable, the problem grows. So this was new land. This is new territory. Second, not just the land, but now the enemy from without. The enemy from the outside. After 40 years of wandering and wondering while they wandered, it's now time to enter the land of promise but as you'll see in your study of the book of Joshua, that's no small feat because the land is replete with enemies, enemies that are bigger and stronger, enemies that are um, familiar with what they are unfamiliar with, namely land and war. But these enemies don't serve the same God. And so we think of the great stories of the Bible when, when one challenges many. Right, you think of like uh, Elijah um, on Mount Carmel as he challenges 850 false prophets, and he comes out victorious because one man, one woman with God, is always in the majority. Now, the third thing, and this is what we're going to spend our, our time on this morning. The third uh, challenge that they had was not the enemy from the outside, but rather the enemy from within. Uh, this would be their crippling view of themselves. Uh, this would even be their past failures. Guys, just think, they and their parents had been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years because of the stubbornness of their own hearts. Think of what they had accomplished while they were in the wilderness. They built a golden calf, and they worshiped it instead of God. <laughs> that's, that's a great scene right there. Um, they they want to worship something. Moses is gone. The leader's gone. And so they, they give all their gold to Aaron. He throws it in a furnace. And then what, is, what does he say when, when Moses comes? Like, I, I don't know. I mean, I just threw the gold in there and out came this calf, right? It's ridiculous. And the fact that it is funny makes evolution even more funny. But that's just a side point. Um, they, they, they complained relentlessly. They, they didn't originally take the land. Why? Due to their own fear. And so now, here they are on the cusp of taking the land, and if they're anything like me, they go, yeah, yeah, right. Like, look at my past. Look at all of my failures. Look at all my shortcomings. There's no way I can take the land now. I, I've only messed up. Uh, just just uh, the other day, um, 
I, I dislocated my shoulder. I, I play in a basketball league, um, basketball. I grew up playing basketball, very comfortable in the basketball court. I love it. And I had dislocated my shoulder about uh, two months ago or so, six weeks. And this was my first game back last Sunday. And I, I'm telling you, I was like, I'm going to go, I'm going to just dominate, I'm going to shine. I mean, the fans or the fan, my wife, because no one comes to watch this play, like, that, they're going to go nuts. I mean, it's just going to be amazing. It, it didn't quite happen the way I had played it out in my mind. Um, instead, I just stunk it up. Uh, a guy on the other team who was significantly better than me started talking trash to me, and he just got into the control room, and he's like, what do you, what, let's see, what can I do in here? I mean, he just wreaked havoc. It was terrible. So I played awful. Um, I, I told people, oh, I'm just rusty. I just didn't play good. It had nothing to do with being rusty. I'm like, the, like, did your shoulder affect you? I was like, yes. Yeah, that's what it was, right? You know, it had nothing to do with my shoulder. Um, but I, I just was all messed up. So then later that night, uh, uh, we get home. It's summertime, and we're, we're just pushovers, my wife and I. My kids are like, I'm like, all right, guys, it's bedtime. I'm like, but it's summer. Can we hang out with you? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's just the, wor I'm, I'm the worst. Anyways, um, uh, we got them. Every summer, if they do really good in school, we try to get them like a summer treat, right? Like a summer, not treat, but like a summer toy, something that they'll, they'll really enjoy. And so this year we got them a Switch. And so we got the game uh, Zelda, um, the, let's see, the Breath of the Wild. And I'm terrible at video games. I love watching people play, but, but this video game we quickly um, set aside as this is daddy's video game with the kids. Like I, I have zero desire to play when they're not around, but like when they're there, they're like they asked to play Zelda. So I'm like, let's play some Zelda. But I'm telling you guys, I, as this story will, will play out, you'll see what I mean. I'm terrible at video games. So we are in, if you've ever played this, there, there's a, a thing called the plateau. It's the very beginning of the game. This is like where you learn how to play the game. Anyone familiar with this? Raise your hand. All right, sweet. We've got some nerds in here. Okay. So, um, <clears throat> So this is like the introductory level. If you, got, if you raised your hand, it probably took you 10 minutes. We have now spent, I mean, hours upon hours upon hours learning out how to play this game. Like, I'm like, guys, once we figure this out, watch out. But I'm telling you, like, this is the introduction to the game. So this is now my third time playing. We have seriously spent probably a grand total of six to seven hours, and there are four things you have to do, and I've done two of them. Two! And so we get to the third thing. It's called a shrine, and I'm like, all right, I'm going to get into the shrine, and there's these guardians by the shrine, and they shoot you with lasers, okay? And I'm like, what is this? So I didn't know that you can sprint in the game. No idea. I'm like, how come you can't sprint? This is so stupid. And I'm like, oh, because you just have to push this one button. I mean, it's as simple as simple gets. Now, if you push down on the joystick, you, you crouch, which means like, as opposed to sprinting, you're like this, <laughs> which is not what you want to do when laser beams are coming at your head. So here, here, here daddy is. My kid's like, go here, go here, go here, right? And I'm like freaking out because this thing's going to hit me. And so I go into panic mode, trying to sprint. I keep pushing down too hard on the joystick, and I keep crouching. And over and over and over again, this stupid laser beam keeps killing me. And so what does daddy do? Well, well daddy is the leader of the home, and so I am very stoic and calm. And I go, that's okay, children. We'll, we'll learn from these mistakes. Now, that's what, that's what Daddy should have done. Instead, the basketball game is on my mind. 
different situations from church are on my mind. So daddy in front of all the kids and, and my wife, I go, why do I suck at everything? <laughs> and my wife, who you've already kind of uh, got an introduction to from my previous stories, she goes, you don't. I'm like, great, now I suck at sucking, right? I'm just like... <laughs> Guys, if we allow it, if we allow it, our, our weaknesses and our past will cripple us. Our weaknesses and our past will cripple us. And if you're anything like me, you can understand why the task was so monumental for, for those with Joshua. Now, to give an example of, of one whose past crippled them, we actually are going to go backwards in time to Exodus chapter 3 and look at the scene with Moses. When we think of Moses, we think leader, we think strong, but we forget his origin story. Moses, uh, you guys know, was raised in the palace and for the first 40 years of his life, he thought he was going to be the deliverer of the children of Israel. He was going to be the one who set them free from the, the tyrannical reign of the Egyptians. So much so that he tried to take his calling and place it into his own hands. And that didn't work out well. And so Moses ends up fleeing after he murders an Egyptian. And he goes into the wilderness and there he hides out for another 40 years. So it's 40 years of pride, 40 years of self-loathing. Okay, And then we see the last 40 years, God says, all right, now you're finally ready. Okay, so at the, at the ripe old age of 80, Moses' ministry begins. So this morning we're going to look at the calling of Moses at the age of 80 after he has failed and failed and failed. We pick up in verse 1 of Exodus chapter 3. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the back of the desert because that's what he did every single day. And he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire in the midst of the bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. God knew what he was doing. To get the attention of a boy or a man, a male, you do something like that. Okay, like, what the heck? I mean, like, and so now he goes. He goes over there. Now, there's a lot of questions we can ask, like what I'll even call burning questions. I'll be here all week. <clears throat> but the, the, the main question, the main burning question is why the burning bush? Um, number one, I'm just going to give you this very quickly because I want to get more into Moses, but it's a picture of the cross. That's, that's why, number one. It's a picture of the cross where Jesus humbly hung with a crown of thorns and the fiery judgment was poured out on him, but he wasn't consumed. As, as that, that third song we sung um, reminded us. Number two, burning bush, because it was a picture of Moses, someone who is insignificant, a shepherd in the desert who was ignited by the Spirit of the Lord and he did the miraculous. Thirdly, and finally, it's a picture of you and me if you're a Christian. God doesn't despise the humble bush. The burning bush is a picture of God's presence within each of us. He's willing to take a common thorn bush and make it his throne. And you say, well, I, I'm just an ordinary person. I'm just a common thing. There's nothing special about me. If you're a believer, there's something very special about you. You are the residence of the God of the universe. Now, the next burning question is, what part of the burning bush is consumed in the flame? No part. Nothing. There wasn't even smoke. 
Now, this was the acacia bush, which is what most people think it was. An acacia bush was known for two things. Number one, it was known for its thorns. And you look at it, you go, well, why weren't the thorns consumed? When we become Christians, we go, Lord, I have all this pain, all these struggles. Can't you just burn them up? Can't you just consume it? He says, no, no, that, that's, that's not how I work. You think, of, you think of Paul. I mean, man, can you imagine? Paul, he prayed for people. They're healed. So powerful was Paul that his handkerchief, his hanky healed people. That's incredible. And yet he prayed to have the thorn of the flesh removed, and God said no. Why? Because God uses those things to teach us valuable lessons. He told Paul, in, my, in your weakness, you're going to discover my strength. Okay? You're going to discover that my grace is sufficient for you. You don't need physical health. You just need my grace. Okay, that's why he doesn't burn it. But at the same time, an acacia bush was also no, known for their beautiful flowers. And the flowers aren't consumed. You, you think of all the joys that, that the Lord allows us to have in life. He doesn't need us. He didn't have to do that for us. Okay? Like, yeah, one of the joys I think of, and I know it's ironic with last night's message, but the fact that we can taste good food. He didn't have to do that. How awesome is that? The fact that we get to have awesome relationships with each other. He didn't have to do that. For all the thorns that we complain about, I promise you there are more flowers that the Lord doesn't consume. Okay, we got to move on. Um, verse 3, then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. And you just go, again, that's just classic boy, right? Like he's just talking. There's only sheep there. And he's like, I will turn aside and I will go look at this thing. It's like, who are you talking to? <laughs> right? Anyways, verse 4, so when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Good start. Present. Verse 5, then he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand now is holy ground. Why was it holy? It was holy because of who was there. Okay, that, that's the same reason you're holy. This room is not holy. They probably do a lot of things that are unholy, not necessarily evil and wicked, but just normal other events. But right now, the presence of the Lord is here, therefore it is holy. Now, verses 6 through 9, we'll just summarize. Uh, God tells Moses that he has seen, he has heard, and he knows the cries of his people. The, the um, Hebrews were slaves for just shy of 400 years. And for 400 years, they've been crying out to God. And for 400 years, God had been silent. And can you imagine you, your parents, your great-grandparents, your great-great-grandparents, go on. Generations had prayed for the same thing to no avail. Wouldn't you think at some point you go, God doesn't hear our prayers. I've been praying for this thing forever. God doesn't listen. God here tells Moses, I have seen, I have heard, and I know. And now in my time, I'm about to do something. I wonder what you're praying for. I wonder what you've been waiting on. Could it be that the Lord's just saying to you, wait? Maybe the answer won't be in your lifetime. Maybe it'll be in your kids or your grandkids. But he says, Moses, I'm about to do something great. And Moses is like, oh, I love it. He's like, no, I'm going to free the people, man. He's like, oh, I love this plan. This is so awesome. Then he reads, then we read verse 10. He says, come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people the children of Israel out of Egypt. Verse, verse 11, don't miss it. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? 
It reminds me of um, anyone uh, see uh, the original Despicable Me? Yes, my people. When, um, when uh, uh, Gru brings the plan to the banker, and the banker's like, I love the plan. I love everything about the plan. I just don't love you, right? That, that's Moses to God. He's like, I love the plan. I love everything about the plan, except for me. <laughs> like, wh- why me in this? Like, I, I can't do this. Guys, we're going to find in this conversation with Moses and God, our main focus will be Moses' four excuses. Moses' four excuses, why he can't do what God's asking him to do. The first excuse we're going to summarize as, I can't. I can't. If you want to to go further with that, you can call it a crippling view of self. A crippling view of self. It sounds humble, doesn't it, to say, who am I? But he wasn't saying, listen, he wasn't saying, who am I that you would choose to use me? No, 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 no. That's not what he's saying. He's saying this. Who am I, even you can't use me? Do you see the difference? Okay. Who am I, even you, God, in all of your strength, cannot use me because of my weakness? This is not humility. This is an overinflation of weakness, and this is a form of self-pity. Let me just give you the scale so we know it. On the one side, actually, this is, this is Moses's life divided into three groups. His first 40 years was pride. Pride. This is an overinflation of strength. This turns your strength, your God-given abilities and gifts, it turns them into weaknesses because you begin to think it's all about you. This is pride. Number two, Moses' second part of his life, his next 40 years, self-pity. Self-pity. This is the opposite of pride. This is an overinflation, not of strengths, but of weaknesses. An overinflation of weaknesses. Crippling us from believing that God can be our strength because we think we are too weak. We think our weaknesses are too strong for God and his strength. The last 40 years of Moses' life, finally we find humility. Humility. And this is right in the middle. This is where we ought to to be. This is an honest view of ourselves. This is turning our weaknesses into strengths because they cause us to trust in him. Do you see? We we recognize that our strengths actually, in comparison to God, are weak, and we need him to use us. That is genuine humility. Moses, at one point in his life, as we already said, he was proud. He was a man of great importance, and then he messed up. And instead of humbling himself and becoming pliable in God's hands, he became so weak in his own mind that he concluded even God in all of his might wouldn't or couldn't use him. And this is where many, many young people are at. I do a lot of counseling, and this is the vast majority of the counseling with young people. They believe that they are so bad so stupid, so unskilled, whatever it might be, that they cannot be used by God. No matter what the gifts are that God has given, the calling that God has placed on their life, they, they come up with a thousand excuses. Guys, listen carefully. This is giving way too much credit to your weakness. Way too much credit to your weakness. If God can use a donkey in the Old Testament to go all Narnia and speak to, to a prophet of God, most certainly you're qualified, and I'm qualified. So we make one final observation before we move on. Being consumed with our weaknesses is still being consumed with ourself. It's not humble. It's not humble. Being consumed with our weaknesses is still being consumed with ourselves. We skip on ahead to verse 12. It says, so he said, God now, listen, listen to how God comforts him, how loving he is. He says, I will certainly be with you. 
And this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said, awesome, God, let's do it. Me and you together. Nope. Instead, we read, indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and they um, and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? Have, have you ever thought about that, Lord? Right? I mean, I know you'll be with me, but what if they ask me a question? I don't know the answer to it. Huh? Then what? Well, we read, fortunately, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And I'm shocked that we don't read him say, but what if they don't know what that means? Right? How, how silly does that sound? Who sent you? I am. What? <laughs> right? But we find Moses' second excuse. First, he said, I can't. Next, he says, I'm not. I'm not. And if you want to draw it all the way out, he says, I'm not qualified. I'm not qualified. And gosh, this is something that we struggle with in our day and age. We, we've decided if someone gets a piece of paper, then they're qualified, right? Because that, that piece of paper says so. Whether it's a, a high school diploma, a college degree, a certificate of ordination, well, if you've got it, well, then there you go. And we obsess over that piece of paper. Um, I learned very quickly that the piece of paper really is a piece of trash. Um, when, when I was ordained, I got ordained the same day that another guy I worked with um, uh, got ordained. And uh, he and I, we, we view life very differently. Um, he, he was the worst. Um, no, he's, he's great, but not so much. Anyways, um, I got ordained and I was like, oh, great. And I just put it, put it away. Like I, I still have my, my certificate of ordination, but I... I'm like, I'm not going to display that because then that comes with expectations, man. Like, if I, put, if I put up that I'm ordained, people are like, oh, so you can do ordained things, right? I'm like, I do lots of good holy things, right? Um, so this guy, though, however, he was different than me. So he, behind his desk, he, he put up his three certificates that he had. Um, one was um, his associate's degree. <laughs> and I walked in, I'm like, really? Like, really? He's like, some people don't have that. I'm like, Yeah. Okay. Um, and then over here, he had, he had uh, it wasn't an EMT. He never made his EMT. It was before being EMT, whatever that, whatever that certificate is. That, that was up. Um, and I was like, why do people in your pastor's office need to know that? He's like, I don't know. I'm like, in case you got to do the Heimlich or something? He's like, sure. So he had that. And then behind him, the, the, you know, the center, the crown jewel, uh, that was his certificate of ordination right there. And, and then there he sat, the wise sage at his desk to tell you what to do because he's got that, that, and that. Um, and so he's sitting there with a guy who actually later became a pastor and planted a church. Um, and he was like, the guy's like just wicked smart. I mean, like crazy high IQ, like uh, crazy high IQ. Sorry, not crazy high IQ. Although that, that's a good way to say that. Anyways, um, sorry, here, I don't have a high IQ, <laughs> as you can tell. Um, but, but I do get distracted easily. So anyways, um, he's sitting there and he looks up and, and this guy, his name is Jonathan, and Jonathan's just talking to him and talking to him and, you know, sharing all of his wisdom uh, with him. And uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm not bitter at all. Um, <clears throat> but this guy's sitting there, his name's Scott, and Scott looks up and he's like, what is that middle one? And Jonathan like, was like, what? What do you mean? He looks back, he's like, that's my certificate of ordination. And he's like, that's not what that says. He's like, what? He looks back at it, and it doesn't say certificate of ordination. It says certified of ordination. 
the, the lady who typed it up misspelled certificate <laughs> and printed it, and Jonathan displayed it for all to see. Um, and so he comes into my office. He's like, do you have a certificate of ordination? I'm like, yeah. And I pulled out of the drawer, and I show him. He's like, they misspelled yours too. So, so for the longest, I mean, we're talking like six years, I was certified not, not, not certified, because um, that's what it said, it, it certified of ordination. And I'm telling you, I looked at that, and I'm like, this is nothing. This, it's a piece of paper. We take it to the, the secretary, she's like, oh, yeah, whoops, sorry, click, print, there you go. And she, that a nice paper, printed us a new one that said the, the right thing. I'm like, it's nothing. But, but we in our society, we make it everything, it's nothing. Moses is like, I can't. I don't have a piece of paper, man. I'm not qualified. What, what if I go there and they start asking me all these questions? I, I have nothing to back up um, what I am called to do. But again, God kindly responds to Moses and he says, well, then you tell them I am who I am. It's so great how, how God responds to Moses' worry. By the way, side note, Moses is worried. I know we talked about this last night, so we won't camp on this, but he's worried about something that never happens. They never ask. They, they're never like, oh, so who was it who did send you? Is this not what we do with worry? We worry and worry and worry and worry about things that never happen. But God says, God says, here, let me just tell you who I am, and that should, that should calm your nerves a little bit. He says, I am who I am. Guys, this title reveals several things. Number one, it reveals that God has no equal. Moses, I have no equal. Okay, your problems, your weaknesses, your shortcomings, they don't compare to me. I am who I am. Number two, it, it, it reveals that he is self-existent. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. He didn't need Moses. But he chose you because he loves you. Number three, he is everything that we need. I, I think that's a word for, for where you're at in your life. He is everything that you need. You don't need anything else. You don't need beauty. You don't need popularity. You don't need athleticism. And if you're single, guys, you don't need that girl, even if that's the reason you came here. Is that anybody? Raise your hand. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and girls, listen very carefully. If you are single, you most certainly do not need that guy. Just trust me. God is sufficient. One person with God is always in the majority. I'm not saying you shouldn't get married, by the way. Don't misunderstand that. Uh, don't worship that person. Don't think if I get that person, if I get married, then I'm satisfied. No, no, wait. Wait till someone who, who actually will treat you the way God says to treat you comes along. It's worth it, trust me. Um, <clears throat> I pray, guys, that you can all be freed from your prisons of desire. I pray that you can be freed from feeling like you're not enough, if perhaps you struggle with the opposite, I pray that you can be freed from your pride, freed from your self-loathing. Listen, freed from your, your comparisons that you're always making. Same with me. Lean into Jesus, he's enough. Now we, we jump ahead in our, our story to chapter four. We find Moses' third excuse in verses one and two. Then Moses answered and said, but suppose, there it is, he's not learning. But suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, the Lord has not appeared to you. So the Lord said to him, what's in your hand? Isn't that great? God's like, all right, I'm done. Like, <laughs> I'm not going to address that. What's in your hand? And, and look at what Moses says. This is great. It, it should be this like epic moment. And instead we read, a rod. <laughs> like, I, it is so like such a letdown. The third excuse is what, what I'll summarize to, I wonder. 
I wonder, or I suppose. This is the fear of man. It's a serious case of supposing. Suppose this, suppose that. Rather than listening to the confident reassurance from the Lord, Moses wasted his time supposing. And we do the exact same thing. Suppose they'll laugh at me if I share my faith. Suppose they'll persecute me. Suppose I'll lose my popularity if I stand up for what's right. Suppose if I take a step of faith, I fail. Then what? Suppose, suppose. And we, we trap ourselves in this prison. And ultimately what it is is the fear of man. Not wanting to be viewed as stupid or as a failure. So rather than the fear of the Lord and choosing to do what pleases him, we fear people and we choose to do what pleases them. This can be summarized in, in, in the famous uh, phrase, peer pressure, right? Peer pressure, people who, who you look up to, people who you want to be like, pressuring you to do something that you know you probably shouldn't do, and, and you cave because you want to please them rather than pleasing the Lord. Now, I, I, I really racked my brain to think of a good example where I had caved into peer pressure, and I know this is gonna sound super prideful, I don't mean it to, but I just couldn't think of a good story of it. I'm sure it happened a bazillion times in my life, but the best story that I could think of with it actually was a time I didn't cave because of how stupid the peer pressure was. There I was with my friend. Uh, we were on the basketball team, so we had early morning workouts. Uh, we, we had done that, went to his house. He lived right by the school, went there to shower and get ready for school, and then uh, go to school. Now, <laughs> his name was Chris, and he was an idiot. Um, he was really, really good at basketball, but that was about it. Um, but uh, uh, we're getting ready. He's like, um, he's like, hey, he called me Sousa. My last name is like, Sousa, hey, do you want to go up on the roof and jump into the pool? This is 7 o'clock in the morning. We had already had a, a workout. I'm exhausted. I, I don't want to go to school. I just want to go to bed. I'm like, no, Chris, I don't. I don't, there's nothing inside of me at all that wants to do that. And he was like, what if, what if we did it naked? Like, what is wrong with you? I'm like, no, right? I'm just like, you idiot. I'm like, no, dude, I'm good. Like hard pass. I go, I, I, I take a shower, I get ready. Guys, I am not kidding. This is exactly how it played out. I, I take quick showers. So I, I came out, I'm ready. I'm standing in the living room. I mean, I, I went to one shower. He went to, to the other one. So I thought, and there I'm in the living room and I hear this. And I look up like, what the... Chris went up on his own roof, and he's running. He was a big boy. He was six foot four. I mean, he was thick, like, like 240 pounds. And he's like running off of his roof. And I look up, and all I see is the backside of Chris jumping in the pool. He's like, yeah! I'm like, You're an, you are the biggest idiot. This is insane. Later, his dad was the trainer for, for our basketball team. So later, his dad uh, tells us, uh, he's like, he tells me, because Chris and I were really good friends. He was like, uh, Chris will not be hanging out with you for about a month. And I was like, why? <laughs> and he's like, you know exactly why. I'm like, yes, I do. Yes, I do. He was like, well, Nancy, our neighbor, she called me this morning. Uh, and she told me, I saw more of your son than I've ever wanted to see. <laughs> Nancy was outside, her dog was going to the bathroom, she had her coffee, and she saw Chris completely butt naked, running off, jumping into the pool, and she's like, I'm going to call his dad. <laughs> Guys, peer pressure will always make you look like, like Chris. <clears throat> it will make you look like an absolute idiot. The, the way the Proverbs says it is, the fear of man is a snare. It, it, it's a trap 
I promise you it will not work out well for you. You will really end up looking like a fool. So how, how does Moses, or sorry, how does God respond to Moses while he's struggling with the fear of man? Notice he asks him a question. All right, Moses, I'm done. What's in your hand? What's in your hand? He says, a rod. Now, just quick observations, because I, I, I don't want to belabor my time up here. First observation is this, guys. God can turn a useless nothing into a useful something. A useless nothing into a useful something. He, he had a stick, a shepherding staff. That is all he had, and God says, okay, I can use that. It, it doesn't matter what Moses had. M- Moses could have said, I have, I have a jacket in my hands. like, great, I can use a jacket. I, I have a hat. I got a sandal. Like, it doesn't matter. He's like, yeah, I got that. I can use that. Okay, Num- number two, and we'll see this play out in a second. Number two, God loves to use what we have. He loves to use what we have. Think of David and Goliath. Saul tried to give his armor to David, and David like walks out like, don't think this is going to work, right? Saul was head and shoulders above uh, all the other people in Israel. It should have been him who went out to, to battle, but instead he was going to give this, this boy, probably roughly 16 years old, his armor to go out. And David's like, I can't. But what did David have? A sling. That's it. And God's like, that's fine. I can use that. So he goes and gets five smooth stones. You know the rest. I think of Samson and the jawbone of a donkey. That's not a good weapon. But God's like, I can use that. Guys, in both instances, it seems like something so insignificant, but the more insignificant the thing, listen, the more glory God gets. But we think of David and Goliath, and David is most certainly not the hero. God's the hero. We know that it wasn't David. Goliath could have easily wiped David out, and yet we see God's hand in his life. You might think that you have nothing of significance. You might think you, in fact, are insignificant. But the key is to give to God all that you have. And you go, well, it's nothing. I think of the little boy in, in the story of the five loaves and two fish. Roughly 12,000 people there. No one remembered to bring a lunch, but that little boy had a really good mom. And she's like, my boy ain't going out without a lunch, right? She throws the lunch in his backpack. He's the only kid there, the only person who had someone thinking ahead, he has food. Philip says, Lord, with a year's wage, we couldn't feed all these people. Andrew brings the little boy's food. And he's like, here you go, Lord, I got something. And then he turns around, he sees 12,000 people and he feels like an idiot, right? I mean, can you imagine? He's like, well, how are we going to feed all these people? He's like, here's, here's a Lunchable. And I'm realizing now how foolish that sounds, right? And so what does he do? He laces his faith with doubt. He's like, uh, but, but what are they among so many? The only one who hit a home run here was the little boy because he gave all that he had to Jesus. And it wasn't much. Five barley loaves? That's nothing. It's like five like, matzo crackers. It's like, there's nothing. And then two fish. He gives that to Jesus, and Jesus uses that to feed the 12,000. What do you have? What's in your hand? You go, it's nothing. It's a rod. God's like, I'll use that. Okay, the third observation is an ordinary thing in God's hand becomes an extraordinary thing. From that point on, that rod shows up over and over and over and over again. It becomes a snake, right? And then Moses then grabs it by the tail. It becomes a rod again. Um, This rod is referred to as the rod of God. It will be used to part the Red Sea. It will be used to strike a rock and have sweet water come out. It will be used to extend a battle till God has won. And perhaps the greatest miracle, it will be used to take a discouraged Moses and encourage him. That rod shows up over and over again. That stick that was in Moses' hand, God says, I can use that 
to overthrow the greatest empire that this world knows right now. And we go, well, but it's not much. Well, whatever it is, give it all to the Lord. All right, we skip ahead to verse 13, and this is where we finish. But he, this is Moses, after God continues to encourage him, he says, he says to, to God, I'm not eloquent, I can't speak good. And God's like, who made the mouth? Who made the tongue? It's me, right? He just keeps coming up with excuses. Finally, verse 13, it just crescendos. But he said, oh Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. First says, I can't. Then he says, I'm not. Then he says, I wonder. Finally, he says, I won't. I won't. We find that this is an unwillingness to obey. The fourth excuse that Moses has is really not anything to do with his lack of ability. Rather, it's just his lack of willingness. Lord, please just send someone else, anyone else. I don't care. I'm all for this plan, just not me. Just send anybody else. Think of Jonah. God says, all right, I pick you. I want you to go to Nineveh. God said, go. Jonah said, no. God said, that way. Jonah went that way, right? Rebelling from God's revealed will. I think of the, the rich young ruler. Lord, I've done everything right. I, I, can you imagine? I have never broken any part of the law. Have you ever read through the first five books of the, the Bible? It's like, there's no way anyone has ever upheld this perfectly, but there he is. He's like, no, I'm perfect, man. I haven't made a mistake. Me and you, we got something in common. We are perfect. <laughs> High five. And what, what does God say to him? He goes, all right, well, then sell all that you have and give it to the poor. And he leaves sad. Jonah, the rich young ruler, it's an unwillingness problem. It, I don't want to. So guys, here's how we finish today. What are you gonna bring to God? What are you gonna bring to him? Are you gonna bring him excuses? This is a huge problem in our day and age. I thought it was just with my generation, but now I'm seeing the next generation struggles with it just as much. We are professionals at coming up with excuses. We're professionals at that passing the buck. We're professionals at blaming something else. We want a target to throw everything at to say that's the reason why I'm dealing with what I'm dealing with rather than saying I'm the reason. Rather than saying, all right, Lord, I'll give you everything. I will do everything your word says to do even if it doesn't make sense. We don't do this. We come up with excuses. Ah, that, that's not very modern. Do you know what the psychologist would say to that? Can you imagine what my non-Christian friends would say if I said to them that, that a role of a wife is to sub... <laughs> Can't even say it. Submission. That's grossly misunderstood. All right, side point. Uh, both men and women submit. Do we know this, right? Okay, I, I don't... I, in, in our, in our uh, literal kind of uh, the conservative approach to, to reading the Bible, we have really done a disservice to, to wives. We have told them, you have to submit, men don't have to submit. But then we say, husbands, you need to love your wife. But then we look at the wife and say, you need to love your husband. It's like, wait, 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 wait. If she's only supposed to do this, why is he not only supposed to do this? Do you understand? We, we've asked her to do her role and his role, but we've asked him to only do his role. It's totally wrong. There are times in marriage where, where both will submit. If we are called to submit to each other within the church, well, then I'm also going to submit to my wife on occasion. She's going to submit to me. 
What submission is is grossly misunderstood. I wasn't going to say any of this, guys. I'm so sorry. Okay, what submission is is a gift you choose to give to someone. We think of it like, like MMA, like submit, tap out. Tap, like, okay, that's not it. If ever you get in a marriage and that's what your husband says it is, that's wrong. Submission is a gift that you choose to give. Now, this is what I say in marriage counseling. How easy does it become to submit to your husband when he does what God tells him to do? Loves you more than himself. Listen, ladies, it starts with you. It says, wives, submit to your husband. And, and so many women are a day and they freak out. But then it gets to the men and he's like, you ready? He's like, son, you ready? Buckle up. Like, okay, dad, what do I got to do? He's like, you got to be perfect. Like, I'm perfect. Oh, right? Like, you, you have to think of her like I thought of the church. Well, how did you think of the church? Every single day. <laughs> In every single decision I ever made, I sacrificed for my bride. You better do that for her. Like, okay. He's like, by the way, that's my girl too. Oh, man. Right? Like, your father-in-law is God. Okay? Now, when you treat her like Christ treats the church, ladies, how easy does it become then to give the gift of submission? So easy. The example of marriage counseling that I give, I say, if he likes the steak place and you like the salad place, he says to you, all right, babe, do you want to go to the salad place? And you go, I submit. <laughs> right? Like, you got it, babe. That, yeah, whatever. You Go ahead. Lead us well, man. I love this. Okay. This is how the Bible says to do it. And we, and we go, no, 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 excuses, excuse time. The psychologist would say that was wrong. The world would say the word submit is actually a cuss word. So I can't do it. The Bible says to think of others more than yourself, to consider others better than yourself. And the world goes, no, 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 no. You need, you need to have better self-esteem than that. You have to look out for number one. No one else is going to. What are we going to do? Are we going to listen or are we going to come with excuses? Maybe you're a Christian. You go, no, I believe all of that. I just don't want to do it. Now, that's different. That's Moses. That, that's Jonah. That's the rich young ruler. That's just saying, no, I'm unwilling to do it. Or, guys, are we going to choose the best option and just obey? Let's just do it. it when we mess up, own it. Gosh, I cannot tell you how refreshing it is when someone messes up and they own it. Just this last Wednesday, um, our, our worship leader, um, he's, he's the, his job description at church is the jack of all trades because um, he does everything for us. Um, and so he wasn't uh, leading that night. He was running all the AV stuff and he forgot to, to hit record for the teaching. And this has happened before. <laughs> um, and so since... You know, we want everything recorded. We, we, we have radio programs and stuff like that. Um, the only option we have is to re-record. And so I have voice issues. I can't, I can't go on and on and on. That's partly why I do shorter messages. And you're like, not today. I know, I'm sorry. Um, but he comes up to me after the service, and he was like, I am so sorry. And I'm like, it's okay, man. What are we talking about? <laughs> He's like, um... I forgot to record the message, so it didn't go out on live stream, and you're going to have to redo it. And he's like, it's totally my fault. I, I messed up. I didn't hit the button. I, I just screwed up. Guys, it was so easy to show him grace. If instead he was like, hey, man, so somebody changed the settings on the computer, and uh, 
I mean, I don't know what happened, but the recording didn't go out. It would have made it so much worse. I'd have been like, well, why didn't you double check that fool? Like, you're over that, right? Like, you know what I'm saying? But instead of coming up with all these excuses, he just owned it. And I was like, oh, dude, it's all good. It's all good. And we re-recorded the message. It is what it is, right? Like, made a mistake, guys. Please own it when you mess up. Obey when you can. Confess when you, when you screw up. It's okay. 